welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. So I guess we're live. Is that what it said? I went on my phone and there it was. There we are. How cool is that? I got to get out more often. All right. So I am glad to be here. I don't know. This is my third or fourth year in a row that Pastor Paul has escaped to the land of Florida, suffering for Jesus and uh, leaving you in our tender care. Not just me, though. What a worship team. Come on. Look, (laughs) I know that you have worship people in your DNA. I know Chris, and I know his ability to, to worship, but Danny and these folks, man, you need to appreciate what you got because it's good. So it's a treat. I was telling folks before uh, service started, it's like vacation for me. My pastor, Pastor Phil, called it, enjoy your Sabbath. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm resting, you know. Um, so it is a privilege for me to be here, and I do, really, uh, have a lot of appreciation for your pastor and for the trust that he puts in me, pumps me up every year, telling me, no, this is going to be great. You're going to do well. You know, you, our people love you. And he tells me all kinds of lies just to get me here so that he can get away. And, and I, I appreciate him for that. <laughs> just kidding. I, I love being here. Um, so he asked me to speak about why it's important for us as human beings to engage with other people to ensure that we're whole, that we, we are all that we can be. Knowing that, of course, we're body, mind, and spirit, um, he's saying that engagement with people is important for each one of those uh, categories. And so I said, sure, I'll talk on that, and that's what we're going to do today. Before I do, I'd just like to take an informal uh, poll here and see how many introverts and how many extroverts are in the house today and how many blendings we have. Maybe we have some extroverted introverts and we have some introverted extroverts. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm sure there are some of us here. Let me uh, define the ground rules here. An introvert is somebody who likes their me time, which is different than a man cave and thinking about nothing, guys. This is a person that likes to withdraw from others, that loves to be alone, and gets recharged in that process. They tend to be quieter. They tend to be more reflective. They're introverted type folk. On the other hand, there are the extroverts that love to bring a party wherever they go. They love people. Without people, Things don't happen. Like, you know, the introvert could love to work out by himself. Me, I love to be in a group of people. Hey, how you doing? How's the wife? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just the way extroverts are. And sometimes, like me, you can be an extroverted introvert. You could be a mix of both. So with that definition in mind, how many introverts do we have in the house? Nice and high. How many, uh, how many extroverts? Okay, and how many blended folk? Oh, okay. So the introverts took it in the first service. I mean, it was the majority of the house right there. Boom. (laughs) And so what I want to say is this. The, 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 The idea is that for some of us, introverted or extroverted, we we will we will pull away. And for some of us, that's a healthy thing to do. 
For some of us, it's a necessary thing to do. And for some of us, it's a very unhealthy thing to do. Because if we withdraw far enough, we are no longer in connection with other people. And God uses your willingness and availability to move. That's our big idea for today. That you can't separate his abundant provision from people. You just can't do it because that's how it flows. That's how it works. So for us to be whole and for us to be engaged with our physical sense, our emotional being, and our spiritual sense, we need to be with other people. So in preparation, I started doing a little bit of a reading, and I looked at, of all things, what solitary confinement does. Over 100 years ago, the United States started using uh, this practice in their penal system, and for 23 hours a day, food delivered through a slot. I mean, no people in the life of a person, they thought that this would be helpful for the criminal to think about what he had or she had done and correct it. It didn't really work. It doesn't work that way. It turns out that it is mostly punitive and, in fact, very damaging to an individual to be separated from people 23 hours a day. Apart from any uh, sensory deprivation, the people thing, you remove an anchor, you remove a reflective ability to see who you are in connection with other people, so much so that the research says that people that are in solitary confinement for extended periods of time, will begin to hallucinate. They'll begin to detach from reality. They'll begin to um, really have some terrible thoughts. Uh, Suicide is pretty high, if you can believe that. Um, And so it turns out that solitary confinement is not a great uh, plus. And it's also a point of why we need each other. The other thing that I thought about was orphanages. I came across some studies that talked about um, an orphanage in Romania where there were so many kids at one period of time and so few workers that they had to prop the little infants up with bottles and there were, they weren't touched very much. There was just not a lot of people in these little infants' lives. And some of them actually died uh, from a syndrome then known forward as failure to thrive. Uh, and some of them uh, who didn't pass away grew into sort of a forced autism. Yeah, really crazy. But they had difficulty engaging with other human beings in their developmental process. They weren't able to connect as well as other people. In fact, some of them weren't able to connect at all. And they became withdrawn and they became isolated. Um, And they began to work for Google and other IT firms. You know, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, not. Hey, I love you guys. Um, but sometimes we can look at IT and engineers as those guys that are withdrawn. They're in their back room, you know, with their Mountain Dew, and you know, like that's what they do. No, those are guys are those. They're cool. When we're separated for long periods of time from individuals, though, it's not cool. And so, for those guys, and for all of us today, I want to argue that. We need to be willing and available for God to do great things. Okay. So, and we're going to do that today. And um, hopefully uh, God will speak to you. 
Um, but what I wrote in my notes, and I don't know if it's, yes, it is. God moves in our willingness and availability to be there, not in the amount of technological expertise we have, not in how good we look, not in how much money we have, not in how many letters we have after our name, not in how much Bible we know or how holy we are or how much we fast or how much we don't drink coffee, God forbid. It's in our ability to suit up and show up. That's what he's looking for. And all of you, thankfully, you're dressed and you're sitting here. Whether you're in your right mind or not, we don't know. But you're dressed and you're present. So you suited up and you showed up today. And that's what God is looking for. So throughout this whole story, don't think because I'm not, God can't. God is premising this whole thing on your willingness and your availability. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. I love that response, yeah. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read it for you, and then we're going to set it up, and then we're going to go through that, okay? Here we go. 2 Kings 4, the woman with the cruise of oil. One day, the widow of one of Elijah's fellow prophets came to Elisha and cried out to him, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do? How can I help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flasks into the jars, setting the jars aside as they are filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons brought many jars to her, and she filled one after another. And soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. Well, there aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now. Sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and there will be enough money left over to support you and your sons. Okay, so here we are, a little background. She belongs to a community of people which would be akin to today's Bible school. I'm a graduate of Zion Bible Institute back in the day, which is now, I think, at North Point. It's now an accredited, yeah, thank you, Zionians. Or there's uh, Eli Bible Institute, there's faith. There's all kinds of different places today that would mirror what they looked like back then. She and her husband and her sons were being brought up in that community. For whatever reason, her husband passed away. And when he did, he left some debt. Maybe because he didn't make six figures back then being a prophet or a man of God. I don't know. Um, maybe they were living by faith. Maybe they just had a mortgage. And it wasn't paid off yet. And unfortunately, he passed away, leaving her holding the mortgage. However that worked out, she was left as a widow, two kids, not good in that part of the world at that time. Because women who were widowed were definitely at a deficit. Really, the only thing they could do would be to turn to the streets. And she wasn't apparently willing to do that. And 
because she said her house was empty, my understanding is that she did everything in her willpower to take care of the debt as she could. She sold, hawked everything, pawned everything. Like, I need to stay alive. I need to keep my house and my sons with me. She wasn't able to do this. And back then, another rule of thumb or law of the land was that if you were a creditor and your debtee didn't have the money to pay you, it was okay for you to come in and take a member of their household as an indentured servant or as a slave. And in her case, she had two young sons. And so in this creditor's case, I'm thinking he's a bright man. He waits to go for his money until the cycle of seven years has just completed because every seven years, people in those indentured places were set free in the year of Jubilee. And uh, so if he waited till the just passed, he would get all of six years plus of these strapping young men. So they're probably younger kids that he is now coming into uh, uh, having for himself to use as slaves. And this woman is out of her mind. If somebody came to me and told me they were going to take our children away from me, I would be out of my mind. I would do just about anything to prevent them from doing that, as I'm sure if you're parents, you understand. Well, maybe some of you have kids that you wouldn't mind being taken away, but for most of us, it's that, you know, <laughs> fight thing. So here she is. She comes to the man of God. Let's go through it. So <coughs> let me just say this. I'll save it for the end. One day, the widow of one of Elisha's fellow prophets came to her. She came to him, and she said, help me. My husband's dead. You know, you remember this guy. He served you. You were with him. You know, he loved the Lord, right? And now there's this problem I'm having because a creditor is coming, and he's going to take my two sons as payment. We got to do something. And at this point, I don't know what actually she looked like because the Bible doesn't tell us, but... I can imagine her bowing down before this guy, just totally humbled before him, right? Her face to the ground. And so here's Elisha. Yeah, I remember your husband. Nice guy. Yeah, he got good grades. Yeah, he could really get a word of knowledge. Yeah, good guy. <laughs> um, tell me, he says, what can I do to help you? She doesn't answer him because she doesn't know. And he says, hmm, well, <laughs> what do you got? It? What, do you, what, what do you have in your house? What do we got to work with? What are our assets? Nothing, she says. I got rid of everything. The only thing I have left is a flask of oil. Okay, we pause in this story just to uh, look at what oil meant for people back then. Oil was one of those things that was used for almost anything. It was the all-purpose product of the time. It was used for food. It was used for cosmetics. It was used for medical stuff. It was used in religious rites and ceremonies. It was a sign of anointing. It was, a, uh, it was used for all kinds of different things. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of came into this at Christmas time when my daughter, my youngest daughter, not the one that you have on your wall, by the way, Emily, I'm going to be with her this weekend. We're getting together to celebrate my wife's birthday. Big time. It's all around the world. Kids are converging on Washington, D.C. Anyway, my youngest one, 
she's gotten into holistic health and all this kind of stuff. And so for Christmas, she gives me a bottle. Is this live? <laughs> of beard oil. Beard oil? What is that? No, Dad, just use it. It's great. You'll love it. It'll calm you. It'll soften your beard. It'll smell good, and you'll look wonderful. So I tried it. And guess what? It did smell good. It did soften my beard. I did feel awesome. So I'm still wearing it. Yes, I'm wearing it today. Can you tell? Yeah. It was used for everything. This was one of those internationally traded and sold commodities. Not unlike crude oil is for us today. Olive oil was for them. Same thing. Same importance. Okay? Get the idea? All she had left was a flask of this oil. Okay. So, <laughs> what did she need to do? What had she done up to this point? She did what necessity, necessity forced her to do. Necessity is the mother of many inventions, but for some of us who are strong-willed, stubborn, and maybe male, although not always, she had to ask for I thought that this was a dude issue. You know, after walking around Lowe's for enough time, you see these guys walking around like they know where they're going, but they really don't. And they're too prideful to ask the guy in the orange vest for help. Not me. I am not going to walk around five acres of land waiting till my eyes fall on something. My problem is finding one of those guys with the orange vest on. But this is not just a guy problem. I have a sister-in-law who's out in Seattle where they've gotten tons of snow recently. And she was out. She slipped on the ice. She dislocated her shoulder. Uh, pause. This girl is not your average petite girl. She is a triathlon. She is an iron woman. She is one of those people that will bike, swim, and run a thousand miles and come up for breakfast, you know. And she's just amazing. She slips on the ice. She gets a dislocated shoulder. She goes into the ER, and I can envision her saying, pop it back, Jack. <laughs> you know, pop it back. They put her in a sling, and what does she do? She goes home, and she rests by the fireplace, nursing her shoulder. She goes out, and she, I don't know how she did this. i got to ask her. She shovels the snow with one hand. When I said, Jen... You should just ask for help. She goes, oh, no, I never do that. Really, I believe you. Listen, there are some of us today that need to ask for help. In recovery, one of the first things that happen is that a person needs to recognize their need for help and then do what? Because if they're not asking, they're not changing. You can do everything you want in intervention in their life. But until they get through the denial and say, I got a problem, I need help, they're not going to go anywhere. Anyway, she came to this guy. She asked for help. And so what did he do? He says, well, what can I do to help you? The thing about this is that Well, you can look at this a couple of different ways. She comes to him. She asks him for help. He asks what he could do. She tells him all he has is oil. Then either he gives her the plan piece by piece, 
which would be my preference, I'm not, well, because it would play out something like this. All right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You and I, because I'm an extrovert, will go around to all your friends and neighbors and we'll borrow as many jars as we can. Okay. And so I would go back to my friends and neighbors along with the man of God and say, hey, can you lend me a jar or two or three or five or ten? Because this guy told me to. I have no idea why, but I'm supposed to do this. Oh, who? The man of God? Sure, here. But I'm not sure that that's the way he did it. What I think he said to her was, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors, then go into your house with your sons and privately shut the door and start filling up these empty jars from that little flask of oil you have. And as they're filled, just separate them out and set them aside. She now needs to go back to a community who by custom and law was supposed to take care of the widows and the orphans, and who may have been and run out of resources or declined to at the very beginning for whatever prejudicial reasons they might have had, or maybe they were somewhere in between. But she needs to go back to them, face them, and ask them for jars. And if somebody says, well, why? What is she going to tell them? Well, because the man of God said that I needed to fill my now empty house with as many jars as I could, and I have a little flask of oil, and I'm going to pour it all out, and it's going to fill all these jars, and then I don't know what. Sometimes when God gives us direction, it doesn't make a lot of sense because his economy is not our economy. And sometimes when we get a word from the Lord or we get clear direction, we don't obey it. There is a word uh, from the old Greek called akrasia. And this is now kind of a philosophy sort of wing of things. But basically what it says is, when we go against our human reason for unreasonable reasons. Did that make sense? I'm overweight by about pounds. And I need to lose some weight. And when I gain the weight, I feel terrible. And I lose the weight, I feel great. I'm feeling great. I see the ice cream. I know it's going to put weight on and I'm going to feel terrible, but what do I do? I eat the ice cream. And then I have some more ice cream. And then some more ice cream. And then some more ice cream until I'm feeling terrible. It's the same thing with smoking cigarettes, barring any kind of physical habit. It's the same thing we do that goes against our good moral judgment. When God gives us something to do, we need to lean into him and his judgment. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great scripture. Trust in your own willfulness, in your own power, your own strong ability to be stalwart and, you know, I can do this thing. No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own strong will and wonderful understanding, but in everything acknowledge him and he'll do what? He'll make your paths straight. He'll he'll do what he says he's going to do. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness like the dawn. He'll take your justice and make it shine like like the noonday sun. 
It doesn't make sense. What he's asking her to do is trust him. And what he's asking you to do is trust him. There might be people here that have been having, trying to have kids for a long time. And you're depressed. You're going through infertility. You're doing all this crazy stuff that's expensive and going through all these things. And I just want to encourage you. Hang in there. He is faithful. If he has plans to give you kids, you're going to have some kids. Maybe it's a physical thing or it's an emotional thing or it's a financial thing. The deal is, and we sang about it, God bless Danny and his truth. We sang about his faithfulness. He never changes. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so here she is. She was obedient. She didn't just stop there. And obedience always brings blessing. Say it with me. Obedience brings And sometimes disobedience brings anger, frustration, and sometimes even death. I used to teach my kids this all the time. When they're two and you're in a parking lot with my three, I took their hands. Because I'm ADD, and if I think something's a great idea, I don't think about it. Certainly at two, I wasn't. I was out in the traffic, right? So you're going to control them, and you're going to hang on to them. And if somehow they broke away, hey, obedience brings blessing. But when you're disobedient, sometimes anger, frustration, and even death. You know, it's terrible. But I still have my three kids that didn't get run over. The point is this. Obedience does bring blessing. That's not my idea. That's a biblical idea. You can read Deuteronomy 28. And uh, it's just a good thing to be reminded of because at times like this, where we are in the story, it's going to be difficult. She does go out. She gets the jars. And she fills her house with them. She finally brings in the last load. And it's not lost on me. These are empty jars in an empty house reminding us of how the story starts with death and emptiness. How's it going to end up? What's going to happen? Here they are. She brings in her two sons. She closes the door as instructed, and she begins to think about the next step. I'm going to take this small flask of oil. I'm going to take a big container, and I'm going to fill this container with this flask of oil. At what point in this did it make sense? It doesn't. God is going to do something supernaturally. So she can either choose to go ahead and do it, or she can choose to just say, you know what? This is crazy. A lot of times people ask me, Pastor Brian, what's job, what, what is my job and what's God's job in my transformation, in my recovery, in my mental health, in my physical well-being? And this is what I've come to. Our job, your job, is to put in the effort. It's to be obedient. It's to suit up and show up. His job is to bring the results. And so her obedience at this point brings us to this point. And I can imagine that maybe she pauses, she looks at her sons and goes, I know, crazy, right? Here we go. And she starts pouring it in. And at some point, the amount of oil that should have been coming out exceeds that amount. And it keeps coming. 
and she can see that it's about to overflow. She goes, give me another one, give me another one. Because I wouldn't want to put it down, would you? And that oil just keeps coming, and she keeps asking, bring me another one, bring me another one. Oh, my gosh, look at this. This is, oh, it's great stuff. Oh, give me another one, give me another one. And finally she says, bring me another one. And her son says, but Ma, we don't have any more. They're all gone. <gasps> and it was right then that the oil stops. The question that begs to be asked is, why did it stop? Why did the oil stop? <laughs> One of the obvious reasons is that there was nowhere else for it to go. And God isn't about to waste blessing or waste his grace or waste his compassion. He has it down that you will have everything you need when you need it and not anything more. Sometimes the blessing of God isn't what you envisioned it was going to be, but let me guarantee you, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to into his ability and his love and his awesomeness. So here she is. The oil stops. But maybe, maybe it's predicated on how many vessels she was able to get. Yeah, we get the impression that it was a houseful, but imagine half those people didn't answer their door that day when she and her sons were going around. Oh, here comes that widow again and her two bratty sons. Close the doors, Martha. I don't want to talk to them. They weren't willing. They weren't available. God's abundance and provision cannot be separated from connection with people and their willingness and ability to be available. They can't. So maybe, maybe what would have happened if they hadn't? This whole story would fall apart. Some of you I believe isolate, and in a negative sense, not because you're, you're introverts, but because of fear, because of you don't like confrontation, you don't like to make decisions, you're master procrastinators, and you will just withdraw. You'll pull the cover over your head, and you won't come out. May I encourage you this morning that whatever it is you're avoiding, whatever it is you don't want to face, that if you will rise up this morning and ask God for help, he will take you to that point of commitment where you're able to do what you weren't able to do yesterday. He's a faithful God who wants to step across the Rubicon with you. He wants to take you further than you've ever been able to go. He wants you to do things that you've never been able to do, but you need to ask for help. And you certainly need to be willing and be available. All right. It's not over now. She's got a bunch of jars that are filled. And when she told, then she goes to the man of God and she says, oh my gosh, look what happened. All these jars are filled. What happens now? And he says, go and sell them and pay your debts and then live what's left. So she still had stuff she had to be obedient with. She had to go back and sell the stuff that she collected Best oil ever. She probably got a premium prize. Who knows? But she had to go back to those same people that were either enthusiastically engaging her or begrudgingly so. 
Not my idea of a good time. Then she had to go back to the creditor. Not my idea of a good time. Both bittersweet, right? Here's this nasty guy that was going to take away my sons. The last thing I want to do is grace him with a bunch of money. More like, you know, in Jesus' name. <laughs> but I go, she goes back, and she pays this guy's off. She pays this man the money that he's owed. She doesn't have to give up her sons. And she gets to live on what's left over. More than that, the anonymous grace of God that was filled privately in that house is released into the community for their health, their nutrition, their well-being. When we are used by God, when we're obedient in private, God uses it in a very public way. Folks, if you're here today and you don't know this God, can I invite you to come and be willing to get to know him? I am not going to sit here and tell you that being a Christian is all roses. It is not. She had to do very difficult things. But, but when you are serving the God who is able to do all things, being a Christian is pretty darn good. Because your eternity is there. It's before you. And you do have a resource that is beyond yourself. You have a power that is greater than you that is able to come in and supply you with abundance and what you need. I would love to invite you to pray with me this morning. A little worship team come back and maybe the prayer team can come. And I'd like you to think about, as we remain sitting, um, to think about your willingness to get to know Jesus apart from whatever you think politically or religiously, can you just think right now about a decision? And I won't embarrass you by asking you to raise your hand or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, in your heart of hearts, if you are at the end of your rope, if you're facing unbelievable pressure and terrible destitution, would you remember that the beginning of the story was death and it resulted in life? It started with deficit and ended up with sufficiency. This is the God that I would love to introduce you to today. It is as simple as accepting the fact that it could be true that this God loves you and wants to forgive you and is available for you today. If you will just believe in your heart that he is who he says he is and wants to have relationship with you and choose today to come before him and say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand it all. But what this guy is saying makes you sound real good. If you are this God, would you come in and do for me what you did for him and what you did for that lady and what you've done for others by forgiving them and helping them start fresh and walking alongside them and being there for them constantly, faithful, never changing, helping me to trust again. If that's you, in the, in the privacy of your own heart, would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, come into my life. I, I, I don't understand it, but I believe that if there's any power greater than me, it's you that can maybe come in today and, and sort this mess out with my life. Forgive me 
Help me to start with a clean slate. I don't know how that works either, but I know it has something to do with dying on a cross and paying the price for me, and I'll sort that out. But I need you. I'm asking for help this morning. I'm making myself available. I'm putting against, I'm putting aside my pride and just saying, would you come in to my life and help me? If that's you this morning, just say thank you and amen. If you're here this morning and you already have a relationship with Jesus, can I bring you back to willingness and availability and being there? Being there means you just suit up and show up. It's not predicated on how much you bring to the table. It's based on what you're willing to receive from God and how obedient you can be to allow him to use you to do great things. Sometimes the most serious situations give God the greatest opportunity to do great things, but we need to be available. And if that's you this morning, I would love for you to recognize and to take responsibility for what it is inside of you that needs to change. You might need to ask for help. You might need to overcome some pride. You might just need somebody to be a witness. Listen, this is what God's asking me to do. Would you just join with me in prayer and agree with me that God is going to be faithful and do what he's going to say he's going to do? Whatever it is, we got a prayer team here today. They're trusted people. They've been praying for this opportunity. They want to be with you. And I just want to take off all the gloves this morning. If you're uh, part of the church, I've been a pastor for so long, and I know what it's like to be on staff and to come down for prayer. Oh, what are people going to think? You know what? If you're on staff, I invite you to come down for prayer because you're setting a good model for people. It's like, yeah, I need help too. I need encouragement. I need somebody to be a witness with me in an agreement. Whatever it is, I'm inviting you to come and receive some prayer today and receive from God whatever it is you need. Don't leave today alone. Don't leave today discouraged by impossible things in your life. Danny and the worship team are going to sing through that song a couple of times more. And in that time, I invite you to come and, and be prayed for by somebody today so that you leave encouraged, that you leave with some hope. You leave with some assurance and confidence that's born and birthed out of his faithfulness today. Amen? Let's, let's worship together and let's sit before the Lord and, and think about what it is that we can take out of here today and put some feet to. And then Bobby's going to come and he will dismiss us.